you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I am your host, Oliver Banks, and I'm delighted to be your guide to help you through the sometimes challenging road of retail transformation. Thank you for tuning in. This one is episode number 134. If you were to sum up the transformational effect that the pandemic has had over the past almost year and a half now, perhaps the word acceleration would spring to mind. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm very glad to be welcoming back a good friend back onto the show, Carl Boutet, who is just about to launch his book, The Great Acceleration, The Race to Retail Resilience. So that's what we're diving into today. If you don't know Carl, he's based in Canada and he's a business strategist and executive advisor. He's got over 25 years of experience with hands-on operational, marketing, merchandising, and retail exec experience in both large retailers and with small retailers as well. He's the founder of Studio RX, where he advises retailers and business leaders to tailor the solutions and propositions to the evolving consumer need, all whilst building an effective commercial strategy too. He's recently been named by Rethink Retail as one of the world's top 100 retail influencers, alongside yours truly, and is the principal advisor for the Retail Innovation Lab at McGill University and lead marketing instructor for the McGill University Executive Institute. Last time Carl was on the show, almost exactly a year to the day, I might add, (laughs) we ended up dubbing it the virtual pub, and this time... It gets a whole lot more real. We'll find out in just a second. If you're looking for the show notes for today, then head over to obandco.uk slash 134. That's obandco.uk slash 134. So here is my conversation with Carl Boutet as we explore the great acceleration, the race to retail resilience. Well, today I am very excited to welcome my good friend, Carl Boutet, to the virtual pub that is the Retail Transformation Show. Carl, welcome. How are you? This... Great Foley. <laughs> so they say you got to let this stand for a while. This is the real way to serve a Guinness without having the tap, unfortunately. So I've been inspired by a lot of your recent podcasts and the metaverse one, especially. So this is the true blend of physical and digital. So we're, we're, we're pulling in the virtual pub just got a lot more physical all of a sudden. (laughs) Well, cheers, brother. Absolutely. Cheers. And this is lining up to be a, a, a fantastic conversation then clearly. And first up, Carl, congratulations for just a couple of days time, the launch of your first book, The Great Acceleration. Massive kudos to you. Well done. Hey, you haven't read the book yet, although you have been a big part of helping me promote it, which I'll thank you about a thousand times probably on this uh, in this podcast and, and putting your narrative. So you're, you are definitely more aware than most. 
Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited, uh, Ollie. I mean, it's, uh, it's been a long project. It's something that was instigated probably like five years ago. That professor of mine, we, we had a reunion dinner from my, my business, my MBA class in, in Toronto and, and had a great conversation with my strategy professor, Doug Reed, who I, 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 I salute. And, uh, and at the end of the conversation, we were sitting next to each other for the whole dinner. He's like, he looked at me and he goes, you know, you got a book in you. It was the first time I heard those words and I was a little rattled because I obviously look up to him a lot and he was very, very inspiring to me around business strategy. And so he got me thinking a lot broader about the whole top, a lot of topics at that point around not just retail, but just business strategy in general. So I guess you could say it's like a five years in the making process and it's uh, its central purpose is, has changed several, you know, it's sort of iterated along the way, but I guess there are pieces of those five years in the book at some point. So we can unpack those uh, as we go along. But when you and I were on Steve Dennis's book launch, we tend to have a thing of hanging around book launches, you and I. I don't, I don't I know. Mean, I think it's just our crowd. <laughs> Not because of the sandwiches and the, the finger food and the uh, and, and the glasses of wine, because that, that would have been a, a different a different reason. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, that was where the first time I introduced the Great Acceleration Theorem, I'd been mulling it around. Yeah, that was back in... April 2020. Which I guess is early days now, right? Now when we look back at it, things the our, our concept of time is is a bit uh, is a bit shifted, but yeah, it was early days of of the pandemic to to sort of come out and 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 boldly state that this would be looked back on as the great acceleration and and I I needed to really tie that together and that's what the book is is at least trying to do. Mm, definitely. I think it's it's very exciting and of course I was truly honoured that you uh, you chose Retail Transformation Live then in July to announce the concept of the book, yeah. right, to the world. Yeah. And yeah, very excited to, of course, yeah, I mean, the, welcome the, you back here. <laughs> originally, the idea was to launch the book was going to come out in the fall and or actually late fall, early winter was what my original target was. And as we were measuring the data, because um, there's a part of the book that's sort of tracking uh, digital adoption around the world. and almost a dozen markets in from South Africa to, 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 to Germany, to obviously Canada, US, China, all these things, UK. But I really wanted to get the fourth quarter, the, the holiday sales data in there. And especially as it was looking like we were headed for a second lockdown. So mm. the, great, the great acceleration really was over a, sh- a short period of time. And uh, there's, I think, confusion where people think that this is an ongoing acceleration. Let's unpack the great acceleration a little bit because I think some people could have a, a, a preconceived idea of what that is, but you have a, a different viewpoint. Help us understand. Well, I don't know if it's different. I think it's yeah, it, it's either adjacent or complementary to a lot of different viewpoints. So maybe just before to say why the great acceleration was in the context of the Great Depression, you know, the Great Recession. So the ways that we looked at these major uh, world altering events uh, you know the first one also tied to a pandemic in a lot of ways mm. uh, and 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 the last one just being purely economic but the, the fall of Lehman brothers and all the all the rest um so the word acceleration back in the spring when we were at at, at the book launch at Steve's book launch you know the word acceleration was just coming up more and more there was there was crisis and acceleration were sort of the two words you just you couldn't avoid yep the public health people and the governments were talking about crisis and the business people are talking about acceleration and crisis in a lot of cases as well but 
the idea that these trends that were uh, we were all expecting to unfold over the next five, 10 years were happening in five, 10 weeks or three, five weeks or whatever your timeline, depending on what you're measuring. And there's, and there's a lot of data points around that. Yep. But, you know, looking back and now more the data that we have today, I think that with the real, the real core of, of, of the great acceleration for me anyways, was that first uh, lockdown in the spring, which mm. almost acted like a, a, a time portal. It sort of like opened up and let us see what 10 years from now could look like. And quite honestly, scared the hell out of a lot of us uh, for all the right reasons. You know, just how can you be prepared for something that, you know, overnight happens or almost overnight happens that we were building up towards, or, you know, we were giving ourselves a decade to get there. Mm. Uh, but it also showed us, showed us the, the, the shortfallings of our approaches and, and how unprepared we were, quite honestly. And a lot of organizations were sort of pushing a lot of these initiatives back. Again, acceleration means the, the real core of it is there was nothing new happening. It was all things we were preparing and anticipating, but it was, as a lot of organizations had sort of deprioritized or had pushed back a lot of these change initiatives. And mm. this acceleration basically put that, propelled them back uh, and, and put, the, put it center stage once again. So a lot to, more to unpack around that, around the full journey, you know, from from discovery to delivery basically was 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 affected in some in some shape mm. and people i think where the perspectives are a bit off is they think it's all about technology mm. and yes technology plays a huge component in all this technology adoption and you know something you speak to a lot and i just heard your your episode with maya i mean that's exactly a lot of the same a lot of the same stuff but it's more a lot more than that it was in the organizational resilience really i think is what we're getting at and that's why the book yeah. is sort of the subtitle of the book is is the race to retail resilience you could re you could remove the word retail because it really applies this resilience nar narrative is is also a word that kept on coming more and more especially as we were mm. figuring out that this was going to last more than a month or two so the that was the race to resilience is is this notion of what you need to develop as a company or and the organizational cultures that are going to have to follow to to assure that whatever comes our way next, we're going to be better prepared for. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Again, when it when it comes to acceleration, there's been a huge amount of focus on percent of the retail market going to e-commerce. Right, yeah. that's arguably been the biggest focus, and I'm sure everyone has seen lots of charts of you know the hockey stick up. Yeah, the book is full of those charts, by the way, as well, because you do need, you do need to sort of back back it up and show and yeah, and they're 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 so shocking these charts. And one of my favorite ones, or favorite one of the most the ones I think that, that made that point was showing the last two recessions, especially or or great events. You know, they did the difference between the Great Recession in two thousand eight and what I'm calling the Great Acceleration of twenty twenty. The Great Recession, you know, it was e-commerce and physical retail dropped. The same amount. Mm. They basically correlated directly, whereas uh, this one they were in inversely cor correlated. So we had like a twenty percent drop in physical retail, but we had like this eighty percent increase in digital retail. And I think we're going to need to rethink about our, our what our definitions of those things are. And that's really where the resilience comes from. But yeah, so the, those charts we were focused on that because the repercussions are from discovery to delivery. But it's not just that. There's a lot more happening in the way that it right to the shifting the core of the business model. Mm. I'm sure everyone can reflect on some of those digital shifts. 
But let me ask you, Carl, as you were going through doing all of this research, you've got yeah. you've got a ton of research, as you, as you just suggested, in the book. What surprised you personally most as you were uncovering all of these different perspectives and viewpoints and insights and data sources? So I was really pleasantly surprised by um, so one of the, the core uh, ideas for the book pre-pandemic was talking about sustainability and the, ro- and the role that sustainability was going to play. And I was almost scared to introduce it, quite honestly, because I thought people aren't ready for that again. Like there's in the or in the hierarchy of of priorities, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, it was all economic, right? It was all about financial survival, cash flow management. Mm. Uh, and for the book, uh, I interviewed uh, a dozen world class leaders in, in all spheres of retail and the ecosystem. So some people that are operators, others that are, are thought leaders. And the surprise, I guess, in some in some ways, was that the, the word sustainability was being brought back more in a context to build back better mm. and as an opportunity to start to reset a lot of things that they, again, part of the acceleration because these were things we were expecting to happen five, 10 years from now. This focus, I'd written a piece for Retail Insider uh, in January 2020 saying that the biggest trend of the 2010s was a direct-to-consumer and how that would really rock sort of the retail model because as as general general merchandise retailing was under a lot of stress yep. because the, the brands were taking ownership of the relationship with the customer. And that still obviously was going to play out massively. And then that the next decade, the biggest trend would be sustainability and how today it was a, a value differentiator. It would sort of allow you to gain extra margin in these things if you did, a, if, you, if you truly embrace the broader, especially the broader sense of sustainability, not just environmental, but social and financial how those three things were going to have to evolve. And today that was a competitive advantage. Five years from now, that would be sort of, uh, you know, that would be the, 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 the norm. And 10 years from now, you'd be totally disadvantaged if you hadn't embraced that at the core. So the surprise, uh, back to the question, was that how this was all sort of being pulled forward. Mm. That's what the acceleration in a lot of ways is, is a pull forward of, of different initiatives and the sustain, what I call the sustainability flywheels. I'm seeing more and more at the core of this. And I'm happy to see you know everyday announcements coming out, especially from the global players about their initiatives. Now we can get into a debate around greenwashing and how much of this is legitimate or not. But for instance, I had an interview with Peter Backstrom, who has managed several projects for H&M Foundation and now H&M directly around you know, sustainability initiatives. And I mean, to me, it really feels like they understand. This is not just—they're not just putting lipstick on a pig here. I mean, they—they they recognize that this needs to become a core attribute of what they're doing. Yes, their challenge is, is scale, and he was very transparent around that and saying, you know, we want to get there. It's not going to happen overnight, uh, and we want to help others get there too, which was really another nice surprise. Like I didn't—I didn't know that H and M, for instance, had a, a consulting division basically that helps. Other uh, manufacturers re- look at their their supply chain. I think that's the uplifting part. That I wasn't surprised by anything truly negative. I don't think anybody came with something like, mm. uh, you know, this is all uh, cannot be done. Uh, I have a quote from Scott Galloway on the cover of the book around this is either the Renaissance or the end. Yep. You know, I'm more in the Renaissance camp, and that's just more my, my general disposition, anyways. But. Uh, well, and I think everyone listening in as well, given that they're listening to the Retail Transformation Show, hopefully should also be in the, the Renaissance camp. And yeah, of course, it's been a hugely stressful period 
for individuals and companies for a whole number of different reasons. But the future is really bright, I think. And uh, for, for me, the fact that sustainability came out as something that is is going to continue and actually pick up the pace, if anything, that's hugely bright. I was I was quite concerned, certainly at the early stages of the pandemic, that the momentum that the sustainability movement was picking up would be cast aside as everything starts getting wrapped in plastic and disposed of and chemicals everywhere. I was like, oh, goodness. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, that looks like it's not the case anymore. Right. And and and, 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 it, and, and this came through, like I interviewed, there were, you know, project developers doing big, you know, from, from large yep. brands to, to uh, have Isabelle Blondet, who's also an architect, but works on, on Decathlon sort of 2030 strategy. In our 45-minute conversation, I think about 35 of it was around build back better. You know, and and it, mm. I, didn't, I didn't introduce that. I was just looking to understand what the impacts were. So a lot of these interviews were very organic. Mm. The book speaks to the highlights of those interviews. They could seem more like streams of consciousness. Yeah, I wasn't looking for them to reinforce. If anything, looking for them to challenge my narrative. And so I let the, let the conversations flow. With, and the sustainability thing definitely came in. Stacey Shulman as well from Intel, you know, this is hard tech, uh, but it, we quickly got to the human side of everything. So that's part of our renaissance, you know, and, and saying, and, and you would think, I think she has some of the strongest words around the importance of physical retail coming from the head of Internet of Things and, and, yep. and emerging technology for Intel to say that. And she also has a really strong retail background from her days as chief innovation officer for Levi's and, and, and American Apparel and these things. So. Yeah, I think it is. It is encouraging. Uh, it doesn't mean it's easy. It's, it's you know, building back better sounds sounds exciting. Sounds fun. Sounds like it's going to be a, a, a all all upside. It's there's a lot of complexity to to deal with. Yeah, uh, as well, and uh, and that's why the, I think the data is sort of important and all that too. Sort of making sure that we were charting a course, and we're trying to figure out as we broaden our definitions around a lot of these these things as well, including what is digital, what is physical, what is sustainable, all these things as we're trying to figure out and as we go and, and hopefully heading in the right direction, which you and I seem to both uh, believe in. Yes, definitely. Carl, I'd like to rewind a couple of minutes. You mentioned the sustainability flywheel, which is one of the big ideas mm-hmm. coming out of your book, The Great Acceleration. Tell us more. What What is the sustainability flywheel? Right. So... We've been talking about sustainability for a long time now. I think you know it's 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 not a new concept. I've been frustrated a bit with the sustainability conversations, usually being solely around environmental. And I say frustrated; it's not a bad thing because it's, we all want an environmentally sustainable world, and nobody's going to say that's a bad idea. Mm. Uh, my concern is I don't think I don't think that on its own is sustainable. Mm. I don't think organizations solely focus on environmental sustainability can really um, serve their purpose. I think eventually it could probably get them out of the gate quickly, give them some good visibility, maybe even some margins still today and, and, and sort of directly get them into a, into a position short term where, they'll, where they'll, they'll be financially okay. The idea of the flywheel is how do we build sort of a strategy that, that's more holistic, more resilient, quite honestly, uh, and that, and how, what can we propel forward? So the flywheel is, is pretty, is pretty straightforward. I mean, it's not this really complex. I have some people that are 
thinking that there's a really some real deep science behind this, but the I think it just makes a lot of sense. So yes, you do need to start. The pro- value proposition has to come from a place of environmental sustainability. It has to make sense for the planet. It's basically the, mm. the, the good old three Ps or those that are familiar with the B Corp movement. Uh, you know, they'll see a lot of parallels here or triple bottom line, all that stuff. And let's just define the three Ps just to, to bring people on the same page. So that's what the flywheel is. So it's, so it's, it's planet, people, and profit. Uh, or, and that's the trip, basically triple bottom line. And where the flywheel gets, but where the momentum gets created, which a flywheel is meant to do. So if I start off by creating products and think, think about 2021, think about anything that's launching today. It's almost a given that it's going to have some sort of environmental consciousness to it, you know, especially mm. in this big or small, you know, think about a small shop opening. It's, you know, you're, you and I want to get together and open a, uh, open a pub you know one of the first things we're going to we're going to promote is that we're you know we don't use menus because we don't want to see all these papers you just use your use your phone or or you know we 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 recycle you know the the or everything's compostable and you know like if we don't even do that we're sort of not even going to get out there we're not going to be open for a week like we're we're pretty much you know that's that's sort of step one one of the other reasons we're doing it, not just because it's good for the for the planet, is we know that it helps us attract talent. We know we're probably going to have a better time or easier time finding more engaged uh, people to work with us and mm. rally to what to our purpose. So, so this is where the flywheel starts building. So now I'm probably in a better place to attract better talent. I'm probably in a better place also when it people is not just talent; it's also your 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 stakeholders, right? So your customers, the people that are going to you know, your suppliers, all these people. So I might, I'll be in a better position to engage these, these stakeholders, quite honestly. And, and so that, so yep. that's where the people, so now, so once I've got these first two things going, now I am in a position where I can, you know, especially now for the next you know short period, still extract better margin, probably I, you know, my mm-hmm. value proposition will be stronger and hence that should lead to profit. And, and then I can reinvest some of that profit into making it even more uh, planet friendly. And, and then that, that increase in planet friendly allows me again to re, you know, re-engage with my stakeholders and, and just keep upping the game and just yep. continually building this, this sort of flywheel effect, which ironically was made more famous by Amazon with a very different flywheel. Uh, one that, has, that, that is in some, has been very sustainable for them economically. I, you know, but I think it's, it's going to be running out of steam if it doesn't start looking at the broader, the broader mm-hmm. picture. They're attracting talent Thanks to sort of the, the you know the the, the 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 just the capital they can they can spend. Uh, how mm. long for, is that going to happen? And what point are people tired of getting big boxes with not much in them? And 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 wondering each time you're getting wondering I'm thinking, wondering what the environmental impact of of me receiving a USB key in a, in a twelve by twelve size box <laughs> filled with plastic bubbles. Uh, you know how what's the impact of all that? So the so the so the flywheel is really that is just this notion of how do we build part of the Build Back Better uh, initiative or narrative and really thinking about how those three Ps are eventually going to make our organization also more resilient, like the way we want to be equally physical and digital. We also want to have sort of in the background this this flywheel building up at the same time. I think that's a brilliant concept. Yeah, you can absolutely see, and and I can certainly think of examples actually of those three elements leading to one another. and. You're right. Just like Amazon, who have sort of popularized, uh, I think it's Jim Collins's original concept of right. the flywheel. It is, yeah. And it's, it's a slow build up, but once you start to build up that momentum, yeah, it almost 
looks after itself, right? And it gets faster and faster. And I think sustainability as a whole, it feels like it's going down that route. And and this is the flywheel in action, right? It is the flywheel in action. And and the other important thing is it needs to be authentic, right? So it can't just be, mm. you know, we have to be very careful of that because there's going to be a lot of organizations that are going to be carbon neutral and all these things that are going to try to play to this. And then we can challenge where it's coming from, but it, it's better than not. <laughs> I bought a pack of seeds and I scattered them on the floor. I'm carbon neutral. <laughs> right. So, you know, and there's nothing, I mean, I'm not uh, in, in, in the book, uh, um, uh, our friend, because I've introduced you to, to, to Molly, you know, she, she researches this almost full time and she's more on the, especially on the fashion side. Like she really can, she can call a bluff. So she, you know, so she, she does pull out some points and, mm. and, but she also, you know, she, where our conversation, uh, she so she was very much focused on, on environmental and then somewhat social. Cause she's, she has a lot of, you know, her family's from, from India and all that. So they're close to sort of the manufacturing conditions, mm. the, those parts of the world and recognizing what that implies. And that was interesting part of the conversation even with Peter, cause he says, it depends what part of the world you're in when you talk about sustainability, cause it, mm will have a much more social connotation than environmental in parts like uh, Bangladesh. Yes. You know, where, you know, well, they'll be thinking a lot more about that and and then, and economic sustainability as well, right? Whereas we are in a privileged position in the West to be maybe more uh, sensitive to environmental mm. uh, sustainability. Uh, so I think everybody achieves, is looking for that. Yeah. But it has to sort of come from the order givers too. So when Peter is working with H&M and they're trying to, reverse the sustainability all the way down the supply chain from the very beginnings it, it is it has to sort of come from that end and and that's mm. what i'm hoping the flywheel is going to create yeah it's interesting and uh, sorry just as you explain it's different different parts of the world i think it certainly seems to actually reflect down on an individual's basis right where actually down to an, an individual person wherever they are in the world frankly you need to have those three bits working together right because well, and, the, and the pandemics put that in our face, right? Yeah. Too. We re- we recognize how interconnected everything is right now. How how you know a, a virus, the hundredth of a size of a hair, can create havoc around the world. This is all because yeah. we're all so interconnected. So what we need to do to address that and sort of do everything we can to not create the conditions where these these catastrophic events occur in the first place. You know, a lot of people are saying the next big pandemic is the environment, right? So this is sort of a warning shot, I think. I'm again hopeful, and from the interviews and the people I'm talking to, that it seems to me that everybody's taking it very seriously mm. and recognizing this is all for nothing. You know, if, if you're just going to be financially sustainable, then that that window is closing quickly. Mm. If you're fortunate enough, and this is a challenge right now in our industry, is is you know there's the haves and haves not, and and the the, the pandemic sort of that's part of the acceleration too. There. There's a good and bad story to the acceleration where some have really benefited from it. Yes. And others have been really hard hit by it. And the ones that are have benefited from it, I really hope I'm counting on them more than anybody to sort of reinvest to build the momentum of their, of their sustainable flywheel because that's they're going to have to lead the way. And there's some they're going to fall off. And that's that's part of that's always been part of our industry, unfortunately. Yep. Not everybody's going to make it. And and every industry, right? That's business, right? It is. But I think retail particularly um, is one that's always been sort of seen as this self-fulfilling industry. The difference now is is when uh, usually the one that falls off is the smaller and, and the one that picks up picks that back up is the larger. And maybe another positive of this of this crisis has been a lot more emphasis on shop local and these sort of 
ideas that I'm really involved with here uh, in, mm. in, in in Montreal and in Canada. But um, but yeah, it, it's it's this you know this opportunity. Hopefully, that people that organizations are really seizing. They're saying, okay, uh, the silver lining in all this is we've shed a ton of debt. We've we have an opportunity to revisit. We're almost forced to revisit our entire supply chain because we were overly dependent on unsustainable, and I mean that again in the triple bottom line, uh, unsustainable uh, supply chains. So mm-hmm. how do we build resilience around that? And hopefully by you know the next year or two, the things that are coming out, as we're seeing every day from Adidas, uh, it putting out uh, hoodies and shoes now that can be fully reutilized. They're you know uh, yes built to be rebuilt. Another one, you know, that it's made or made to be remade, I think is actual. So, you know, so that's amazing. Uh, Ikea launching all, a whole bunch of initiatives around buying back their own used furniture. If you're, yes, you know, uh, so these things are coming out day in, day out. They've been around before. Ikea's had some initiatives, uh, but now they recognize that these were sort of novelties and now they're, they they could become core core of the business. You know, the whole re-commerce mm. thing is, as a whole is, is, is massive. I, I definitely think so. I mean... On my uh, retail transformation briefing each week, I track the the top transformation headlines from around the world, and yeah, seeing more and more sustainability initiatives coming through, and they do tend to be the same parties coming back again and again. To be honest, mm-hmm. that are pushing the boundary, but I think that's in a way the nature, right? That that those are the leaders of the movement, right? They show people the way. Yeah, they have the visibility. They have they have the PR teams to push these out. But again, come back True. to our you and I starting a pub initiative. Think about any high street business that's opening in twenty twenty one. They'll be at their core. So we we we've won them. Uh, now it's the large organizations that have a lot more impact. So it's probably not a bad thing that it's the same ones where we because they're the ones that have some of the largest impact. There's still some categories that will have to take a harder look at all this, mm. um, especially as the acceleration is is polarized from luxury to affordability. So the ones that are really catering to the whole affordability and things like dollar stores and things like that whole piece, you know, they'll have to think about it. Groceries, another one as well. I think, we're gonna, you know, there's a lot of concern in that space where I, that's when I said earlier about the ones that have really benefited through the pandemic and hoping that they're going to reinvest those profits into building back better. I'm thinking a lot about that category that does, probably doesn't get the, the attention it deserves. Is If you think about mm-hmm. it as the highest velocity category in retail um the one that we interact with the most frequently it would it would you know it was probably definitely sort of left to the side a bit and and we should be probably thinking a lot more about that one in particular Mm. well carl listen i can't wait to dive into the great acceleration your new book why don't you tell us a little bit about it and uh where people can find out more Right. So, uh, as you know a bit about, you've come to know about me during our own acceleration. I think we've had our own acceleration, all you and I, because I recognize we've never met in person. I feel like <laughs> I, it feels like I've known you forever over this last year. Because I, I am more than just shoulders and head, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> You're, yeah, but yeah. So, so as everything I do is a little, always a little. Uh, I try to do things a bit differently. And the idea of writing a book, one of the one of the things that bothered me about just the traditional book process is 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 the time lapse and to do go through a, the traditional channels mm-hmm. doing such and I'm involved in, in some projects and one in particular where I am in more a, writing a chapter for a more traditional sort of endeavor and, and it's like a six month lag to 12 months in some cases it's going to be very long yeah and when you're talking about acceleration and the speed things are moving at 
that timeline could be a real hindrance. So, so for me, the, the notion was the book, and I, I've been, for those who've been following my, my own publications, I've been putting it in, 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 in brackets a lot or in quotation marks saying, calling it a book, quote unquote, because it's more, it's really an evolving project. So there is a book. So there's, there, so I, I have some legitimacy around that. So the book is releasing uh, Wednesday the 19th, and it's going to be available in a couple of different formats. None of them, for now at least, will be on any of the traditional platforms. So you won't find it on Kindle or, or, or Apple Books and all these things. It's going to be through my studio, rx.ca. And this is, this is a world premiere you're getting here, Ollie. So this is, this is, this is what, my, the, what will be announced in, in a couple of days officially. But your, your listeners get to hear it before everybody else. So how exciting is it for them, lucky bastards? Honored, as always. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> Uh, so the book will be available through the website um, just because I want to also make sure I can engage with the readers and make it more than about a static publication. So so they can get they'll be able to get it. It's going to be twelve ninety nine, So it's quite affordable. It's not a huge document. It's something that can be read in, like I said, as a stream of con- consciousness sort of to it. So it could be broken up and read in different parts, short story form, if if it needs to be. That's the digital book. There's going to be a hundred physical books. I'm actually printing a hundred of these for for those that really want, you know, that really want the the hard card, but is is mm. a super limited, you know, uh, edition. That is very very limited. Yeah, and but uh, it's also a lot more costly because it comes with an hour of my time. Mm. So for for two hundred and forty nine dollars, so for for twenty x the price of the digital, you get the book. And you get an hour of my time where we one-on-one discuss sort of the implications that the book is proposing on your own business or things you're thinking about. So, so that's going to be uh, those are going to be the hundred books that are going to they're going to be for sale. They'll be numbered. They'll be dedicated. I'll you know obviously be shipping them out and and setting up a, a call for those that want it. Obviously, I'm not going to impose the call, but I'm hoping if, <laughs> if they're investing that kind of money with the receipt and all that good stuff to um, support their business if they want to do it. Mm. And last, really what this whole thing is meant to be really is the beginning of, I said, you know, relationship, but it's, it's, it's going to lead to a subscription. So the people that buy the book uh, will get, will get the first three months of my new subscription service. That's really meant to be a, a guide to the race to resilience. So it's meant to be sort of a, a go-to for people that are, are looking to better understand what, you know, how to navigate the waters of a 50-50 world, a physical and digital, mm. which... Right now, quite honestly, we're like in, probably in an 80-20 world. And if you're really good, you're in a 70-30 world. So there's still, for everybody, there's still a ways to go unless you're mm-hmm. Alibaba. I don't think Alibaba needs to buy my book. But okay. everybody else, I think, should, should <laughs> probably pick something up. And yeah, so I mean, the idea is it's going to lead to a subscription service. The first three months will be included with the book. So that's already a fair deal. It's going to like $5 a month subscription. For twelve ninety nine, you get three months. Yeah, I'm a marketer at heart here, Ollie. So the, I want to make sure that the proposition's a win-win. And we'll see who wants to stay on afterwards. We're gonna yeah. the subscriptions going to the charts will be continually updated. So as the data becomes available, we'll be updating those markets. Uh, happy to be happy to add new markets if people sort of say, oh, you know, if, if the data is available, then I'll be happy to to include new markets in there. Uh, more interviews, so sort of the same interviews you've saw and you helped sort of narrate. So there'll be those on a recurring basis. They'll be made available to the subscribers. Mm. There'll be private events within that too, where. Uh, the subscribers will have the opportunity to interact with with the guests and ask questions. And I'm very fortunate to be connected with some really interesting people that I'm sure that you know the the insights come from them 
I, one of the things I, I, you know, I say this, I'm not really an author. I'm an aggregator. This book process made that, made that really stand out for me is I'm good at sort of writing in spurts and doing sort of these connecting dots yep. is really what I do. So I'm not, I don't, I don't create the dots. I, I, I mostly connect them um, or mm. aggregate or aggregate them. So that's what I'm going to keep on doing, but definitely the subscribers will have an opportunity to be, have maybe a privilege exposure to some of these some of these dots the people the people that are are, are are the people who are creating those dots that i'm connecting excellent so that's that's the idea that's that's what i'm throwing out into the universe and we'll see we'll see where it lands but i'm excited about it i want to do it i if, if anything just the process of, of spending more time with people like you has made it mm. super worthwhile and engage a global community because this has been an affair of many and and from friends in, in nepal and india to uh, west coast of the United States, so obviously where you are and, and everywhere in between, basically, mm. have stepped up and, and contributed in some shape or form to this uh, to this project. So I'm super excited about it, and I'm just hoping it's the beginning of a much bigger and better things for all of us. And I'm not talking about economically here. I'm just saying, you know, hopefully mm. it propels forward some things that need to be propelled forward and not just accelerated. Definitely. Well, I, I love how you have uh, you've, you've transformed essentially the world of books right there as well, which is uh, a, a great acceleration in itself. I might add. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it's it, it, there's a bit of a bet in, in all of this, and and because I'm self-publishing and self-funding all of this, so it's meant yeah. so I can do it exactly the way I want to do it, and uh, and then that could fail miserably as well, and that's part of. That's part of innovation, as you and I know. You've done some great work around sort of figuring out what the steps are. And one of the steps is taking a chance. And this is me taking a chance and knowing that I had to sort of stake this claim and, and you know, bring hopefully bring the narrative forward and see who who's in for it. And, and I'm totally open to feedback. And the idea is this is a channel. So it's meant to be uh, bi-directional so that it's not just not just the static thing that you read and consume. I, I'm trying to get beyond just the, the, that basic consumption and make it a lot more uh, bi-directional and iterative mm, definitely so the great acceleration the race to retail resilience is out on the 19th of may and go grab it from studiorx.ca absolutely you can actually studiorx.world works as well too so you can oh dot world there going, we go going global so uh, <laughs> so studiorx.world and then just click on the great acceleration and it'll give you all the ways that you can find, so you can find the book, find the excerpts, subscribe, do whatever you want, and and mostly interact. I hope is the yeah, that's that's what I'm really hoping to get out of out of this. I'm not looking to sell millions of books. Definitely, I'd rather sell a couple of dozen, hundred, <laughs> and make them meaningful. So thanks again, Ollie, for all your support, man. You've been incredible. Uh, you're an amazing friend, and uh, I'm still I'm still getting through my Guinness here. I still got a ways to go because, as usual, I'm talking too much. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Well, Carl, thank you so much. I appreciate you so much, my friend. And uh, yeah, congratulations and best of luck with the uh, book, quote unquote. Yeah, quote unquote book launch. So um, yeah, very good luck. Thank you so much, Ollie. Thanks for everything. So I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Carl Boutte there. And do go and check out studiorx.ca and find out all about The Great Acceleration, which launches on May 19th. If you're looking for some further episodes to listen to, then why not check out Carl's previous appearance on The Retail Transformation Show, which is in episode 82. 
And I'll also point you towards the brilliant conversations I had with Steve Dennis in episode 83 and 84, as we explored remarkable retail, and also the conversations Carl referenced with Kathy Hackle, which is episode 128, exploring the metaverse, and with Maya Knights, exploring retail technology in episode 133. I will put all of those references for those episodes on the show notes today at obandco.uk slash 134. So do go and check it out. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. As always, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm Oliver Banks or on Twitter at Ollie underscore Banks. That's O-L-L-I-E underscore Banks. Or even fire an email, oliver.banks at obandco.uk. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's always great to spend time with you exploring the wonderful world of retail transformation. I'll look forward to joining you on another episode very, very, very soon. Bye for now. 